I've been trying to eat healthier than I have in the past. So I looked at my diet and I said, Nathan, you've been eating too much junk food and you need a little bit more of those things called, I don't know if you've heard of them, veg, 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 vegetables? What, those uh, veggies, there we go, those things, fruits and veggies. Said, ah, Nathan, you need to chill out on the junk food, and we're going to try to have a healthier diet than we've had before. And it hasn't been very long, but it's been probably about like a week, week and a half, where I said, okay, I'm going to try to eat a little healthier than I have in the past, because full disclosure, I do not have the healthiest diet. But it's been a lot harder than I thought. I mean, just the amount of bad food that just always surrounds me. Like Wednesday, we had obviously canes here for for uh, dinner. So Thursday, I didn't pack a lunch, so I come into the office, and I go and I look in the fridge, and open the fridge, and there's Cane's chicken just right there, and there's a whole tray of Texas toast, and there's like a little contraption, you open it up, and it's full of the Cane's sauce, and it's like, oh, like, that looks so good. Like, oh, I could heat it up, get that toast, and the sauce is, like, the best part. Like, I could just grab, like, four of those packets of sauce and just drench it in. It looks so good. Sorry, I know it's, like, almost lunchtime. I don't mean to get you guys hungry, but it's like, mmm. No, 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 Nathan, Nathan, you're trying to eat healthy. I know you're not going to feel good after eating that cane, so I had to say no, but it was tempting. It's right there. I go home, and I look in my cupboard, and I open it up, and, and what's in there? Fruity Pebbles. It's like, mmm, my favorite cereal. I'll get some fruity, that and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's like neck and neck at the top, but I'm really into Fruity Pebbles right now. It's like, oh man, look in the fridge, got some milk. It's like, ooh, that looks good. Just, oh, just the, the different Fruity Pebbles. Oh, mm, delicious, really good. I, I just want, I look in the, the freezer, ice cream. I'm like, man, this is like not the week to be starting the diet. Like all this bad food in front of me. Obviously, I meet up with a lot of people, and so I'm always driving around, and just driving around here, like, looking and driving, it's like, oh, is that McDonald's over there? Like, ooh, like, in and out like, mmm, like, I know, I'm talking about a lot of food right now. You're like, dude, Nathan, I have not had lunch yet. Now I'm really getting hungry. It's like, you can see the picture of the French fries, and it's like, man, like, ah, I want it so bad. It's hard. It's hard. I'm literally watching on my phone, I'm watching YouTube, and an ad pops up from Taco Bell about new items that are coming up. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to eat healthy, and left and right, there's all these bad food all around me, and it's like, man, like, maybe I'm supposed to be eating bad food right now. It's like, what am I supposed to, man, I should just go to Taco Bell like I did yesterday for lunch, and I'm just going to eat some Taco Bell, because it's just all around me. Well, I felt the temptation of eating bad foods, and I'm assuming that for many of us, that's the way that temptation to sin feels like sometimes, that it's just always around us, that one sin, maybe in your mind, you have a particular sin or a couple sins that you often give into, and it just seems with those sins, it's always around you. It's like you're at home, and it pops into your mind, or you're at school, and maybe your friends are talking about us, just different things, and it always seems to be around you, and it seems like you can't help but, but like say, oh, I've got to give in to it. I can't say no to this particular sin. As we're battling and facing temptation, as I felt this week, and eating healthy, it's like, man, it's always around me. Well, how can we learn to say no to temptation? If you've been someone who's been faced with temptation and has struggled with certain sins, maybe this over and over in, 
in uh, your mind in today's sermon, these couple sins are going to come into your mind. How can we learn to say no to temptation? How can we learn to resist the sinful temptation that's going to happen in our entire lives? You face a lot of temptation in your stage of life in junior highs. You get ready for high school that is facing your way. Well, how can we learn to be people that say no to it? Doing things that God wants us to do as opposed to disobeying him. Well, in James chapter 1, it's going to give us the answer in that passage. How can we learn to say no to sin and to battle and to fight temptation? You guys there in James chapter 1, open up there if you're not already. James 1.13, let's learn how we can battle and have victory when temptation is all around us. James 1, look down at verse 13 as we continue in our series. It says this, James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Saying, hey, when you face temptation in your life, don't say, oh man, God's trying to get me to sin right now. Say, hey, don't say that. Why? Because God cannot be tempted with evil. And also, he himself tempts no one. Temptation in our life is not a result of God putting that temptation in your life. And maybe as you read this verse and you get, okay, we're talking about temptation, I want to kind of help you see how it connects to the rest of this passage. Because as we've been studying through James 1, we've been talking through these things called trials and tests, which are hardships put in our life for the sake of making us more like Christ. And it kind of seems, it's like, wait, James, are you jumping here to like a new topic to talk about temptation? Like, how does temptation and tests have anything to do together? And he is making a little bit of a jump, but I do still think it's connected. James, which is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament, and as we just finished up the book of Proverbs um, in our DVR, you know, Proverbs kind of like jumps all around. So it might seem, oh, James, he's like done talking about tests, and now he's talking about temptation. I want to help you see how it connects a little bit. Because the word here in James 1.13 for tempted, let no one say when he is tempted, and then it says it again, I am being tempted by God. And it says it again, for God cannot be tempted. That word for tempted is the same word used earlier in James 1 when talking about trials. So James 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing, those terms for trials, testing, and temptation is actually the same Greek root word. It's the same word. So why is all of a sudden there a different translation? Why did all of a sudden now we're talking about tempting versus testing and trials before? Are testing and tempting, is that the same thing? Is there a connection between the two? It's clear throughout scripture that tests and trials are different than temptations, but they are connected. Let me put it this way. We said, hey, tests are difficulties that we go through that are meant to make us more like Christ. So let's say maybe a test that you go through is you get sick. And maybe that's a test that God is putting in your life for the sake of saying, hey, you're getting, you're getting really self-reliant. You, you, you think you're hot stuff. You think you're so great. Hey, here's a sickness that I'm going to put in your life because I want you to become more dependent upon me. Well, that would be a test that God is putting in your life. It is a sickness to make you more dependent upon him. But guess what? Oftentimes when we're going through tests, that hardship, maybe you're sick, we're tempted to complain, to whine. Is that what God wanted from the sickness? 
for us to complain and to whine and to say, God, this is awful. Why'd you do that? No, that's not what he wanted. He intended for us to grow in Christ's likeness. That's what the test was for. But oftentimes the temptation comes right beside it to say, hey, don't use it to be more dependent upon God. Actually complain against him. You see how testing and tempting oftentimes almost come hand in hand in some senses. God will put a test in our life, purpose to make us more like Christ, but oftentimes right behind it, we feel this temptation to not grow in Christ-likeness, but say, I'm going to give in to sin. So there is a connection made between testing and temptation, but there is a difference. Testing, we said, to make us more like Christ, a temptation that we face, temptation is meant to lead us to sin. So God, when he puts these difficult things in our lives, it's not to make us to sin. That's why James 1.13 can say, hey, God does not tempt us to sin. No, he puts that hardship in our life to make us more godly, make us more holy. I even like how one rendering put James 1.13. It says, their rendering was what, let no one say when he is tested, which we said testing is a hardship meant to bring Christ-likeness. No, let no one say when he is tested, I am being tempted by God. So when God puts a hardship in our life that's meant to make us more like Christ, we shouldn't say, hey, God is trying to influence me to sin. God is trying to push me to do the wrong thing. That's not where temptation comes from. Temptation doesn't come from God. Where does it come from? Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, hey, where does temptation come from? Well, it has to come from God because there's a hardship in my life. No, actually, what's causing you to want to sin when that hardship is in your life, that God means for good, what makes you want to do the wrong thing is, is where? Where does temptation come from? Your own desire, our own flesh, our sinful desires. That's where it comes from. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when those sinful desires, when they grow, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Say, so, hey, if you don't keep in check those sinful desires, you don't guard against them, you don't address them rightly, guess what? Those sinful desires, they're going to grow and bring a, lead to sin. And sin, if you don't do anything about it, it becomes habitual and it becomes your lifestyle. And what happens to someone who lives a lifestyle of unrepentant sin? Spiritual death, separation from God. Temptation is a big deal, and a lot of James 1.13 is helping us to know where temptation comes from. If we're going to be able to resist temptation and say, hey, I want to fight against those sinful inclinations that I have, we need to know where does temptation come from. And the first verse helps us to make clear, hey, temptation does not come from God. Rather than blaming God when you have those feelings to sin and say, oh, God's giving me those feelings, so it must be his fault, say, hey, no, you should Take responsibility for your own sin and your sinful desires and not blame God for it. Point number one, write it down this way. Don't blame your sin on others. Don't blame it on others. It's really easy for us to do that. Oh, I did that wrong thing because of so-and-so. It was their fault. Maybe God is the person. Ah, that's whose fault it is. It's part of our human sinful flesh where we like to blame our sin on other people. Like imagine a, a parent walking into the room with two kids in that room doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Say they're both doing the wrong action and, and there were a, 
drawing with crayons on the walls like you did as like a little kid. It's like the parent walks in, sees the wrong thing that, that, that they're doing, and is like, what, what happened? Like, who did this? It was him. It was him. Like the two kids like, no, it was him. No, it was him. Like they're blaming each other. What? Why? Why do they do that? Because natural inclinations of our sinful flesh is to say, hey, it wasn't my fault for the sin. It was them. I didn't do it. Their fault. Blaming others for our sin isn't a, something that is new. It takes place all the way back in Genesis. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. The first sin that takes place here on the earth, Adam and Eve, they, right off the bat, don't take responsibility for their sin, but they're quick to shift the blame. Oh, something else. What was it my, oh, some excuses. Let's see what are the excuses and the blaming that Adam and Eve do in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, right after they sin, God says, don't eat of the tree. Knowledge of fruit of evil. You can do everything. Eat other trees, just not this one. They say, oh, you know what I'd rather do? Oh, man, that, I, that fruit looks good. Like me driving past Taco Bell. It's like, oh, man, spicy potato soft taco. Ooh, like, that looks good. over." It's like, if you've never been, have it sometime. Baja Blast. Mmm, mmm, so good. Like, they're like, man, that, that tree, the fruit looks pretty good. Oh, man, they felt that temptation. What do they do? Give into it. Sin against God. Now, look at James, or sorry, Genesis 3. Look at Verse 10, Genesis 3.10, God, sorry, verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Calls out to Adam and Eve, hey, where are you at? Verse 10, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God replies, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? It's like, hey, did you do that thing that I told you not to do? Uh, did you? God, obviously knowing all things, wasn't like asking that to be like, hey, is that actually what happened? He knows, but he's going to say, hey, are you going to take responsibility right now? What does Adam do? Verse 12, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Oh, you ladies, it was the lady. It was, of course it was. It was the woman what does he do? Says, oh, Adam, Adam. God goes to Adam. Hey, you're supposed to be the, he- the head of your wife, one flesh. You're supposed to be the leader. Did you lead how you were supposed to? Well, it was Eve. Like, Eve gave it to Like, see how quick to blame it to Eve. It, of course it was. Well, how often do we blame other people for our sin? It was their fault. Oh, my friends were having that conversation, that sinful conversation. I was just there. I was just like in the conversation, but I wasn't talking. Or maybe you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It's like, well, bad company ruins good morals. So it's all my bad company that's ruined my good old morals over here. And while, yes, our friends do influence us, their wrongdoing doesn't negate your responsibility for your own sinful actions. It's not solely their fault. No, it's, it's our fault. How about your siblings? Oh, well, I mean, if my sibling didn't do that thing, I wouldn't have gotten so angry. That wasn't my fault. They just kept annoying me and annoying me and taking my stuff and poking me in the side, and they wouldn't stop doing it, so of course I got angry. If they didn't do that thing to make me angry, I wouldn't have got angry. Notice what you're doing even in that. It's their fault. 
wasn't my fault. If they didn't do it, I wouldn't have acted that way. How quick to blame other people. It's like if I was trying to eat healthy, and I go home, and I look in the fridge, and there's like all these delicious things that like my roommates bought in the fridge. It's like, and then I look at it, and it looks so good, all the good, like delicious junk food, and I go and eat it. It's like, well, it wasn't my fault. If my roommates just didn't buy the food and put it in the fridge, I wouldn't have had it. I'd be like, Nathan, you ate the food. Like, it was your fault. I'd be like, yes, you're right. It's not their fault. It's me just trying to blame shift it around. That's what Adam and Eve do. But not only does Adam blame Eve, look who else he also blames in verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Notice, it's not only a blame of Eve, it's a blame ultimately of God. Hey God, I was content being here in the, 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 in the garden by myself. But no, you thought I needed a helper to help me out. And look what that helper did. Gave me the fruit that I wasn't supposed to eat. Yeah, God, if you didn't do that, that sin probably wouldn't enter the world. Notice that. He's pointing it back to God. God, it was you. It's your fault. That's the same thing we see in James 3.13, saying, hey, God, you put this hardship in my life. If you didn't put this hardship in my life, I wouldn't be complaining right now. I wouldn't be sinning against you, so it's really your fault. Do we do the same thing with our sin? Do we blame God? Well, God's all-powerful, so he should be the one guilty for our sin. Oh, if God really wanted me to stop doing this wrong thing, he would stop me from doing that. It's like me trying to be healthy. It's like, well, if God didn't want me to eat junk food, he would take away my desire for junk food. It's like he gave me this desire, so it has to be a good thing. No, is that our sinful desire and we trying to blame that on God. See how quick it is and easy for us to, to blame God for it. Oh, well, God just made me like this. Oh, oh this is how God made me. I'm angry and I'm, or I'm anxious. Well, that's just how God made me right now. He gave me these emotions. So I'm just going to yap back to my parents because that's how God made me with the feeling upset right now. See how you're blaming God for, for those things? blaming God for your sin. Well, if God didn't do this in my life, I wouldn't respond this way. Once again, we're blaming God. God is not tempted by evil. That's what it says in James 3.13. God cannot be tempted with evil. It's not possible for God to sin. He doesn't sin. He's not even tempted to sin. So much so, he doesn't tempt us to sin. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says the rock, which is talking about God, our anchor, not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He's perfect without sin, doesn't tempt us with evil. Don't blame God. Well, Adam does all the blame shifting. Good thing Eve doesn't do any blaming of other people for sin. Well, let's look back at Genesis 3, after Adam says, it was Eve who you gave to be with me, verse 13, Genesis three thirteen. Then the Lord God said to the woman, he said, Eve, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, Eve, are you going to take responsibility? Uh, you gave it to Adam, what'd you do? Oh yeah, God, you got me, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. No, the, the serpent deceived me, even that. Blaming Satan 
for, for her sin. I'm going to guess most of us in this room, we don't blame Satan for our sin. Like, oh, Satan really made me angry right now. Maybe you do. Or like, oh, he's the ruler of this world, so that's just like what I have to do. It's easy for us to blame shift. Well, why do we like to blame our sin on other people? Why do we like to do that? It's because we like to feel better about ourselves. Trying to take away responsibility. It wasn't really about me. A lot of our culture, I think, sometimes influence our thoughts about ourselves that make us want to blame others. We live in a society that pushes this term I've used before, altruism, that we're naturally good people. And so it must not have been my fault because I'm naturally good. Maybe that thought creeps into our minds. Or even um, more of a deterministic mindset where, hey, who you are is solely dependent upon like your family life and your upbringing and who those are that are around you. And so really your wrong decisions that you make now aren't really your fault. It's, a, it's the fault of the society that you grew up in or the family. Maybe you've heard some of those things. And so it's really not your fault. Maybe those false ideas have crept into your mind and you think those things because guess what? You want to feel better about yourself because you look at the sin that takes place in your life and you say, well, that's uncomfortable. I don't like these bad things that I'm doing and it must not be my fault. Think about blame. Don't blame your sin on others. Blame, that's assigning responsibility by Blaming others, you're saying, I am not responsible for my wrong actions. It's not my fault. You know who's responsible? My friends, my siblings, God. That's who's responsible. It's not me. And you see that blaming your sin on other people, if you're serious about fighting sin, is the worst thing that you can do. Blaming other people. Why Why is that the worst thing you can do? Because if you blame your sin on other people, then you think that the sinful thing that took place, you don't need to do anything about it because guess what? It wasn't your fault. If it was their fault, then you can keep on doing the same things that you were doing because you didn't do anything to begin with. It was their fault. And guess what? You're just going to keep doing the same sin over and over and over again because guess what? In your mind, it was not your fault. If we don't take responsibility for our own sin and we try to blame it on others, it's the worst thing you can do because you're not going to do anything about your sin. Do nothing. Do the same thing again. You're going to be angry again. You're going to be lazy again. You're going to be anxious again, frustrated. Not going to read your Bible again. Not going to pray again because, oh, it's other people's fault. Where does the responsibility lie? Verse 14, James 3, sorry, James 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted by God. No. Each person is tempted by other people. No, although that sometimes is is the case. But really, where does the temptation lie? He emphasizes here, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed to, rich words we're going to talk about, by his own desire. It's our own desires that attract us to do the wrong thing. Point number two, you need to beware the lure of your sinful desires. Beware the lure of your sinful desires. It's a lure. It's an enticement. Those two words, lured and enticed. Maybe you think of lure and you think of fishing. And like the, the lure that's thrown out to the fish so that the fish like seasons attract to it, attracted to it. Those two words, lured and enticed, are closely related in 
James 1.14, but there's a little bit of nuance before, between the two. The term for lured is the idea of to be like dragged into or drawn into. It'd be the idea of, say, a fish is in its, in its home. Like, say it's in the rocks, and the lure by the fisherman is thrown into the water. And there's like, say there's like a, a rope that's attached to it, and there's something going on over there, but the fish is in its safe home. And the idea of lured is like drawn out from safety, drawn out from where it's supposed to be. It's like, oh, there's something over there. I want to go, go check it out. I want to go look for it. A similar term um, for lured in James 1.14 is used in Acts 20.30. Acts 20.30, it says this. It says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there's these people teaching wrong things to draw people away from the disciples and after these false teachers. The idea of, oh, they're drawn out to it. You can picture that fish in the, in the rocks now, drawn out towards the lure. That's what the term for lured is, is referring to. That next word, enticed, is the idea of making something look attractive, making something look pretty. I mean, we're talking about sin, so it's like to make sin look good. Like, oh, look at that thing over there. It's like a fisherman doesn't just throw a hook into the water and say, oh, yeah, they're just going to come and bite at this hook. No, what do they do? They put some, some worms on it. It's like, and the fish goes out there and it's like, oh, look at the yummy worms. Mmm, delicious. Forget Taco Bell. Give me some worms. Like, yeah, there we go. Next TNN, serving worms for, for, uh, for dinner. It's like, you wouldn't want that. But like to a fish, it's like, mmm, that looks good. Like, Yum, or even they've gotten like more modern with the technology of like lures. So, and like some of them, they like can mimic other like I don't know fish in the water, and they like look like they're swimming around, and they've got like they're bright and colorful, and it looks good. And so, lured is like okay, it's drawing them out from their from their safety, and then enticed is like wow, that thing right there looks really good, and I want to grab at it. I want the fish bite at it, and guess what happens? Bites at it, and is. The hook sinks into it, and now it's, at first it was drawn after, and now it's being dragged away to, to die. It's dead. There we go. Sushi, pokey for dinner. Yum. There you go for the fish. Because what? The fish was drawn in, was lured, was enticed by, oh, that looks good. It, it, it's desirous over there. Sin has an appeal to us. When you're facing that temptation and that sin that's in your mind, it, it, you, you want it. It's it looks good. Now, what is it that makes sin so desirous? We need to see that it's our, it's our desires. Yeah, there's something about sin that looks good, but really what attracts us to sin is our hearts. We have sinful hearts that desire to do the wrong thing. It's the truth about it. Sinful people born into this world, naturally we have the sinful flesh that desires wrongdoing. And you need to not be naive enough to think, oh, I'm just naturally a good person. You need to see how insidious and, and bad our, our sinful hearts are. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Say, hey, you want to describe our hearts? Deceitful, desperately sick. They're wicked. They want the wrong thing. It's not a good thing. See how far we've come from first blaming our sin to other people to now realizing, man, who's really culpable for, for our sinful desires? It, it's, our, it's us. It, it's part of our, our, 
our hearts. We need to see it's our desires. And if we're talking about battling temptation, why is it so important for us to see that the problem has to do with our hearts? Why that's so important is because say you're facing a temptation and you're saying, hey, I'm battling this temptation, so what I need to do is cut these certain things out of my life. I'm going to stop hanging around with these people, stop doing these things. You can cut all these external things out of your life, but guess what? At the end of the day, if it is our hearts, which God's word would say it's about our hearts, you can cut all these things out and not even address the real problem. You see that? Oh, I'm going to just not hang around this person, not put myself in that situation. Well, guess what? You still haven't done anything to address the heart of the issue. Sorry for that play on words. It's like our sinful heart, something that that needs to be fixed about our, our hearts. That's why if you're not right with God, you do get this heart transformation that happens when you turn from your sin, you repent, say, I'm done with this old lifestyle and I'm trusting in Christ. You're given a new heart, new desires. You can say no to to the sin in the past and say yes to what God wants you to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. It talks even more so about the sinful desires of our hearts, but also Oftentimes, it feels like we've got this desire to do things that God wants us to do. And oftentimes, it feels like this tug of war is happening in our hearts and in our minds of like, okay, I feel like I want to do the wrong thing, but then I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be doing the right thing. And you've experienced that tug before. I'm assuming in your minds, Galatians 5 talks more about that. Turn over there. Galatians 5, drop down to verse 19. Verse 19. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. So that's our sinful heart that we're, that we're born with as sinful human beings. Now what is it? What are the works of the flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. So sexual immorality or lust, things that, oh man, make me feel good. I go after it. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, idolatry, putting other things above God. It's what our hearts desire. It's what they go after. Now next are listed a bunch of things that cause relationship problems. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. It's like all these things that cause problems among us. Why? Because it's part of our hearts. Jealousy. Someone else has something and I want it. Oh, it's in my heart. I'm jealous of them. Divisions. What causes divisions? Conflicts between people. Someone else does something I don't like. Now I guess I'm angry at them and I'm frustrated when we split up. Things part of our hearts. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, if we don't do anything to address our hearts, guess what? We're not all right with God because we have a sinful heart that pushes us to do sinful things. But guess what? When we're made right with God, we're given these new desires. Galatians 5 talks about that as well. As believers, you have the Holy Spirit in you that produces these things, as you know, called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, keep reading, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's interesting, even comparing and contrasting these two lists, how the works of the flesh are so self-centered. Sexual immorality, it's about ourself. 
the things that cause problems, relationship problems, enmity, strife, jealousy, it's all about ourself, idolatry, things that I want over what God wants. Now the fruit of the Spirit are so others-focused. Love. I'm going to be patient with other people. I'm going to tell myself no, self-control. It's like things that are all about ourself versus, man, the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit takes hold of our lives, when we become right with God, we're given these new desires. But maybe you felt those things at war within you. Galatians 5 talks about it's struggling within you. It's oftentimes portrayed in movies as like someone's got like the angel on their shoulder and then like the, the demon on the other shoulder. Have you seen that like in movies before? And they're like trying to make a decision and then like the angel's like, oh, you should do like, like the good thing. And it's like, oh yeah, like maybe I should do the good thing. And then like the demon's on the other, it's like, no, like do the wrong thing. And it's like, oh yeah, maybe I should do the wrong thing. You've seen that in movies before, right? They're like how it's portrayed. And while that's not exactly what happens, that's often what it feels like within us. You've had that feeling, I'm trusting, where it's like, oh man, I really want to do this wrong thing, but I know I should be doing the right thing. And they're like pulling me back and forth and like, I don't know what to do. You felt that struggle before, I'm assuming. Galatians 5 talks about that. This battle in our flesh versus our sinful flesh versus the spirit that we have as Christians that is at war with each other. Read with me Galatians Five, verses 16 through 17. So now I'll jump up back to the top. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, do what the Spirit wants you to do, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're not going to give in to those sinful desires. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. It's like, that's that tug of war that, you're talking, that we're, we've been talking about. Desires of the flesh, sinful hearts, versus what the Spirit wants us to do. That's that tug of war that you're feeling. For these are opposed to each other, and they keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's like, hey, those good things that you want to do, what's keeping you from doing those good things? Your sinful flesh. It's what keeps you from doing those good things. All right, I hope that was encouraging. Let's pray. Like, like really, Nathan? The sinful heart keeps us from doing the things that we want to do. Really? That, that's... That's where it goes. Just verse 17 keeps us from doing the things that we want us to do. That's not very encouraging. It's not very hopeful. We're just not going to be able to do good things then because we got our sinful hearts. One person wrote this, and I think it's helpful. It's helpful to read verse 16 as a result of verse 17. So because of that tug of war in our minds and in our hearts of bad thing versus good thing in verse 17, you can add a therefore at the beginning of verse 16. So because you've got these things that are opposing each other and the sinful flesh keeping you from doing the things you want to do, therefore I say, walk by the Spirit. Do what the Spirit wants you to do. And guess what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not. Hey, if you do what the Spirit wants you to do, and we'll talk about what that means in, in the third point, you will sometimes give in to sin. Sorry, that's just, that's just how it works. Oh, if you, is that what it say? Is that what it says? Walk by the Spirit, and you will sometimes not, not be able to sin. Oh, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you'll, you'll sometimes sin and sometimes won't. Is that what it says? No. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Think about how sure that is. If you walk by the Spirit, it's a done deal. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Talk about hope right there. You've 
Have you been having this struggle between, oh man, I don't want to do the wrong thing, I want to do the right thing? Guess what? If you walk by the Spirit, you will not give in to sin. You will not give in to that temptation. And the difficulty with that is it's oftentimes hard for us to walk by the Spirit, do what God's Spirit wants us to do. And what makes it so hard for many of us is if you're not right with God, guess what? You don't have the Spirit inside of you. You can try to battle and say no to sin, but if you're not right with God, you don't have the Spirit which gives us victory over sin. It was illustrated for me one time like this. Say, let's compare sin. Say sin is like a stain on a t-shirt. You've got this white t-shirt, and there's a, a stain on that shirt. And I can say, hey, I don't like that sin. I don't like that stain on there. So I'm going to try really hard to not give in to that sin. I'm going to try to scrub that sin out of my life. Well, guess what? The stain on a shirt, if I just get some water and I scrub as hard as I want, is it going to ever be perfectly white on that, that shirt again? If it's just me scrubbing there, it's like, no, it needs something else. There needs to be something there that will make that shirt white again. White as snow, stain completely gone. Well, guess what? What Jesus did on the cross can make our sin gone. White as snow because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. And maybe you are in the same shoes as I was before I heard that illustration, not right with God and was trying so hard to say no to sin, but I kept giving into it. And I was habitual over and over in my life and I couldn't say no because I was trying to do it on my own strength. Say, I can do it. I can say no. When you gotta say, hey, no, actually, you need to give your life over to Christ. Say, Christ is the one who's gonna clear my sin. He's gonna make it done. If you're not right with God, you need to be made right with God. Well, does that mean I shouldn't fight sin if I'm not right with God? It's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. Guess what? Even if you're not right with God, you still have a conscience. You still have a knowledge of what right and wrong is. And he's given you that for a reason. And he wants you to not just say, oh, well, I'm not with God, so I can just do whatever sin I want. No, he's given you a conscience to know, hey, this is what he wants for me. And even though you're not going to have the level of victory that a Christian can have, you can still say no to sin. Once again, won't have the same level of success, but that doesn't give you a free-for-all to just do all the sinful things that you wanted to do. But if you are right with God, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can have victory because 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Who you were before Christ, giving into your sin can be gone and the new has come. You will be given these new desires. And yes, that doesn't mean that all those temptations are gone, but you can have victory over sin in Christ. It's a good thing. And even though, as a believer, you're going to have your sinful flesh still that wants to do the wrong thing, you need to not just give in to sin, but address that temptation when it comes into your life and, and treat it seriously. Point number three you need to address temptation immediately. When you're faced with temptation, you feel that tug of war in your mind between doing the good thing and doing the wrong thing. Don't just ignore it. Don't just say, oh, I'm just going to let it pass. That's not what God's word would want you to do. James 1 verse 15 describes the person who just kind of lets their sin linger around, lets those desires just kind of 
mull over in their mind. James 1.15, then desire, those sinful desires, when it has conceived, if you don't do anything about it, you just ignore it, it's going to conceive, and guess what? It gives birth to sin. If you don't do anything about the sin, sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. If you don't address that temptation right when it faces you, just think about it a little bit, guess what? Probably going to give in to it. And if you just let that sin linger, don't do anything about it, guess what? You're probably going to do it again. Unless you say, hey, I'm going to take this temptation seriously immediately when it comes. Because is it wrong? Is it, is it a sin to be tempted? No. Sin and temptation are two different things. How do we know that? Was Jesus tempted? Yes. Matthew chapter 4 and all throughout his life, but we often think of that example of Jesus being drawn into the wilderness, tempted by Satan. But did Jesus ever sin? No. So we know there's a disconnect between temptation and sin. So maybe you're someone who like freaks out every time you like feel that temptation. It's like, oh man, I just gave into sin. It's like, no, just because you were tempted, that doesn't mean you gave into sin. But if you don't do anything about that temptation, you just kind of let it sit there, you dwell on it, think about it a little bit more, you're probably going to act upon the temptation, and that's where it becomes wrong. When you spend time thinking more about it, acting upon it, don't let it linger around. It's like if I was saying, hey, I'm going to try to eat healthy, and I had a lot of homework to do. I said, I'm going to try to eat healthy, um, so I'm not going to, I'm going to stay away from bad food, but I've got some homework to get done. So I know that Taco Bell has really good Wi-Fi, so I'm going to go work at Taco Bell for a couple hours. I'm just going to go sit in the restaurant. Um, I mean, I'm trying to eat healthy, so I'm, I'm not going to eat the Taco Bell, but I'm just going to sit in there for a couple hours um, and see how it goes. You'd be like, Nathan, what are you doing? You're setting yourself up for failure. You're really just going to sit at Taco Bell? It's like, well, yeah, I could just like maybe go over to the, to the front desk and be a weirdo and like, mm, I just want to soak up the smell. And they're like, the worker's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm just trying not to eat. I just want to like get a little bit of, a little whiff of the, the scent. It's like, you're not setting yourself up for success by lingering, staying around this place, Taco Bell, that even though it's got delicious food, it's not good for you if you're trying to eat healthy. It's like, I, you're, that's not a good thing. Same too, if we just let that temptation just linger on in our minds, think about it some more, or we're probably going to act upon it. We're probably going to give in to it. Notice how Joseph, when he was faced with temptation, Potiphar's wife back in Genesis, how did he deal with that temptation? So Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph to do something that he knew he shouldn't do. And day after day, Potiphar would come, Potiphar's wife would come in and tempt Joseph. And one time, she comes and grabs Joseph to try to get him to do this wrong thing. And is Joseph like, hey, wait, 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 like, let's just talk this out real quick. Like, here, let's sit down, we'll get a nice cup of water, and here, let me just explain to you why this is like the wrong thing to do. It's like, no, he doesn't try to reason his way. He says, I'm out of here, I'm leaving my coat, leaving my jacket, you can have it, I'm fleeing, I am running. That's what we need to do when temptation presents itself to us. Not say, oh man, shall I reason my way, think about it some more, is it really worth it or not? No, stop thinking about it. Do something different. Get your mind off of that. Don't let it linger around. Don't just ignore it. If you have a sinful thought, oh man, I'm just gonna just let it go away. If you just let it, just, oh, it's naturally gonna go away. It's not just naturally gonna go away. 
because of our sinful desires. You got to address it right then and there. Flee mentally. I'm going to think actively something different. Maybe you feel the temptation to be angry or to be anxious. Oh man, I'm feeling it. Well, I'm just going to, I mean, those feelings are going to go away eventually. So I'll just, I won't make a big deal about it. No, address it immediately. Because if you don't, that temptation to feel anger, guess what? All of a sudden you're going to feel angry. They're going to do something out of anger and it's just going to snowball from there. Address it immediately when it comes. Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you do what the Spirit wants, what is walking by the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit is saying, hey, I'm going to do what the Spirit wants me to do. What does the Spirit want us to do? In the midst of temptation, I'm going to give you a couple things that we would say, hey, this is what God would want you to do in the midst of temptation. First, pray. Pray. I know I'm not going to say things, we were hoping some like magic formula. It's, it's like, like, it's going to be things you've heard before, but guess what? It works. How do we know? This is what Jesus did when he was tempted. We should pray when we are tempted to sin. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Matthew 6, 13. Started Jesus' template of prayer. He said to pray, lead us not into temptation. He gave us that for a reason, because it works. Pray to God when you are tempted. What should I pray for? Well, first, you should pray for God to acknowledge, to reveal to you how much you love your sin. You need to acknowledge that to yourself. If we're going to confess our sin to God, we need to acknowledge how much we really love that wrong thing that we keep doing. What's that sin in your mind that you do over and over and over again? seems like it's all the time. You need to pray and ask God to show that you really love it. In your heart, you desire it. If you don't acknowledge that, you're kind of blamed, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You don't see how big of a problem it is that you love it. Next, pray for God to give you a new heart. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Give me the ability to not give in to those desires that I have. You think God is willing and wanting to answer that prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we walk in the spirit to not gratify the desires of the flesh? Pray. Even says the spirit helps us in our weakness. We're not sure what to pray for. Spirit will help us. We need to pray. Second, we need to be in the word. Be in God's word. Oftentimes there can be a connection between I'm not reading God's word and there's excess sin in my life. There's more sin than normal. Why are we in the word? Matthew 4, 4, how did Jesus battle temptation when Satan tempted him? How did he do it? He quoted scripture back to Satan. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Right? Everywhere it comes out of the mouth of God. It's like he quoted scripture back to him. That's successful in battling temptation. Prayer, the word. Cutting off avenues to sin as well. Matthew 18, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We know that's not the sole answer, cutting off avenues to sin, because we already talked about in point number two that it is a result of our hearts. So say I've got like a heart that desires to steal. If I cut off my right arm, 
Does that prevent me from, from stealing? It's like, no, I'm going to try to steal with my left arm. It's like, you haven't addressed the problem. But guess what? God is still pleased by you, like cutting off avenues to say, okay, I know my heart's inclinations are to do the wrong thing. So I'm going to put some barriers in place that even when my desire is to do the wrong thing, I'm not even going to have the ability to do it. So yeah, the soul, that's why we're praying is God to change our hearts. But still, it's helpful to put up some barriers in place. A couple points about temptation. You need to realize a lot of it is a battle of our minds. Because temptation is alluring. It makes us want to think that it's a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. So by filling up our minds with God's word, that's fighting those wrongful thoughts. By praying, which is aligning our thoughts with God's thoughts. It's changing how we're thinking. Also, battling temptation is not just sitting back on the couch passively. It's aggressive. It's active. I'm actively choosing to pray. I'm actively choosing to think about God's word. Cutting off avenues to sin. So that in the future, maybe I'm not feeling that temptation right now, but I know in the future I might be, so I'm going to cut off avenues right now. Maybe I need to cut off friendships right now so that in the future when I have those temptations, I don't even have the ability to do it. That's very active. You see how that's active and not just sitting back? Oh, when temptation comes, I'm just going to deal with it then and there. Also pursuing right things. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions. Passions. That's the same Greek word that we see in James 1, 13 and 14 when it talks about our own selfish desires. Epithemia is the Greek word. Same one, our youthful passions. Flee those. We talked about that with Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. He just, he was out of here. Flee that. But also it doesn't say just flee, but pursue righteousness. So not only should, when I address temptation, should I think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Because if you keep thinking, don't do this, sometimes you end up thinking it. Like, what if I was like, everyone, don't think of a purple elephant, don't think of a purple elephant, don't think of a purple elephant, don't think of a purple elephant. What are you thinking of right now? Purple elephant. It's like, it's like, all right. Now, what if I said lions, 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 lions. Okay, was anybody thinking of a, of a pink giraffe? It's like no one was thinking of a pink giraffe because your mind was lions, 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 lions. So rather than just saying all stuff to your no, 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 think of the opposite good thing that God would want you to do and do that thing. Well, I'm feeling angry right now, frustrated. So what we'll say, I am going to list off right now things that I am thankful for, things that I can be grateful about, not frustrated. Well, I'm worried, I'm oh man, I'm really anxious right now. Remind yourself of all the things that you can trust God for, that he's proven himself faithful time and time again. There's gonna be times though when you face temptation because we're not perfect, you try to cut off the temptation when it comes, but guess what? You give in to the sin. Well, when you give in to sin, Address that immediately and repent. Don't let one sin snowball into another sin, into another sin, into another sin, and then all of a sudden you've got this bunch of sins that you did because it started with this one. Get the idea of snowballing. A little snowball, you start rolling it a little bit, and then you get it going down the hill, and then all of a sudden it's this bigger and bigger and bigger thing. Repent. What causes sinful desires to then make its way into sin that then leads to death is is a lack of repentance. 
lack of saying, God, I'm sorry for that sin. Every time we face a temptation, God promises for there to be a way of escape. Promises. It says there is a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. You're going to talk about that passage in small groups this week. God always provides a way of an escape. But oftentimes we are not very good at finding that way of escape. Or more so, taking it. Because oftentimes we know what the escape is, but we don't want it. We pick another thing. Well, Nathan, that doesn't work. I've been tempted before, and I've tried praying. I've tried reading the word, tried cutting off avenues, tried looking for the way of escape. It doesn't work. Ignore what you said. I've tried it. It's not good. Well, ask yourself two questions then. One, are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, as I said, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. Old's passed away, the new has come. Maybe say, yeah, I am in Christ. I've tried that before, though. I mean, I'm not perfect. Like, Second question I ask yourself is, do you take your battle against sin seriously? Yes, Nathan, I, I, I do. I take it serious. Do you spend more time, think of that sin that maybe has been in your mind this week, do you spend more time praying about that sin or giving into that sin? If the answer is giving into that sin, you do not take it seriously. And if you spending not as much time praying for God to not give you into that sin than you are giving into that sin, I don't think we're taking it seriously. If we take it seriously, we're going to be praying, God, change my desires, change my heart. I hate the sin that I'm giving into. How about this? How many verses have you memorized about that sin? Yeah, I, I hate that sin. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting against it. How many verses have you memorized? Are you taking it seriously? There's so many verses. You're struggling with anxiety. Philippians 4, not being anxious about anything. I'm struggling with laziness. Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways, be wise. There's so many helpful verses for us to memorize. A lot of us haven't memorized a single verse pertaining to the sin that we give into over and over and over again. We're not taking it serious. Pray. Be in the word. Memorize it. Have you put any precautions in your life, those safeguards? Well, I'm taking it seriously. Have you put any safeguards up? Take sin seriously. Don't blame others for it. Recognize it's, our sin is our fault. It's our sinful desires, but I don't want you to walk away from this sermon feeling, oh, well, hopeless, can't give it. No. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Man, when I, when I made that connection the first time, that was transformational. When I, when I heard that connection, that, man, if I do what the Spirit wants me to do, pray, read the Word, I can have victory over sin. If I'm in Christ and I do the things that the Spirit wants, victory over sin. That's hopeful. I hope you walk away this sermon filled with hope that there is a solution 
to the temptation that you face. You're not forced to give in to sin. There's not no way out. There is a way of escape. We need to be diligent to find that way. Let's pray. God, I pray for these junior high students that face so many temptations just by nature of junior high and being at school as they're getting ready to go into high school, even more temptations in, in college, more that they face every single day. There's so much that they, that they face. But God, we ask that we would be people that would be diligent to not blame others for our sin, that we would see it is our fault. It's our problem. But God, also help us to see that there is a solution found in Christ. There's a solution that we can have our sins wiped away, made clean. We can have victory over sin. We can say no to temptation. Help these students this week to take their sin more serious than they have in the past, whether, whether they're a Christian in the room or whether they're not right with you. Help us not to blatantly disregard you by giving into our sin, but say, no, I want to do what pleases the Lord. Give us a heart that desires that. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.